something now. So today's reading is Mark chapter 8, it commences at verse 22. And it covers some very, very famous events, uh, a, a miracle that Jesus performed and then teaching about him being the Christ and indeed about his suffering, which is appropriate after our ceremony. I'm reading from the sheet that we have here, so hopefully it's the same version that's been projected. Mark 8:22. They came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and this sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Amen. Wonderful. Boys and girls, it's time to head out for Kingdom Kids and Little Explorers now. And for everyone else, it's an opportunity to, uh, to greet one another uh, tonight, today. In the Lord Jesus.
Wonderful. David, I think we're not on again. Uh, there is an outline uh, as well uh, available today if you would like to follow along on the outline uh, that was in your bulletin. Well, we come to the Gospel of Mark. We continue our series. And today's title uh, is Understanding God's Truth by Understanding Jesus. Understanding God's Truth by Getting Jesus. The idea is that if we get Jesus, then we get God. We get His truth. If we don't understand Jesus, if we think that Jesus was just a good teacher or some sort of a, a healer or just a good example to mankind, then really we don't understand God. Jesus came with God's truth and He came to save people. And there was something remarkable about Him. And so if only we can truly understand Jesus Christ. But the reality is that some things are hard to understand and then they're hard to live them out if we get them. And I've uh, always wondered a little bit about... Uh, uh, not sure why that's not working, guys. Um, what's happening with uh, the NFL. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that sport. Uh, it's uh, a little bit unusual. Maybe just have to plug that receiver in a, again, guys. Um, so uh, uh, I don't really understand it, to tell you the truth. There's a whole bunch of rules. I sort of get the point that you're supposed to get a touchdown by getting the ball down the other end, and then they have a, a conversion thing, or they can go for a, a, a pass or something, get some extra points. I don't really understand it. Uh, and there's lots of different specialist positions in the whole process. Uh, so it's, uh, to tell you the truth, a little bit confusing. I even lived in the States for three years, uh, so you think I'd have a better chance than others. Sort of got a rough idea, but I don't really understand the whole concept of, of, of American football. But there's other sports that I don't really understand as well. Uh, uh, and one of which, and I'm sure there's a lot of AFL people here, I don't understand AFL when they get the ball, why they have to bounce it. Why, why would someone have possibly have to bounce the ball? They've fought to get the ball, and then they go and bounce it. I can't understand that. Uh, <laughs> so I'm sure there's other sports that you've watched and you go, what's going on? I don't, some of the, 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 um, the Asian sports in particular, I, I said, what is going on in this sport? Uh, a, a fascinating one that we've started to play at youth groups sometime is, is um, a, a game called Screen Tag, uh, which is, is bizarre in itself. A game of tag where you have to scream out in your voice while you try to tag people, or they even play a, a heavy tackle version. It's more like wrestling, I think. It's uh, quite bizarre. I don't understand wrestling for that matter, uh, or sumo wrestling. There's so many things I don't really uh, get. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure what's happening with this receiver. I don't think it's working today. Okay. Yeah, when I just lift it up, I guess we'll go. Oh, you can test it. Yeah, get it working. Thank you. Uh, so here's another thing. Languages. Hard to understand. Uh, maybe you can tell me what that says up there. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure you can read all of them, can you? <laughs> I think they all say thank you. I don't really know. I don't really understand. <laughs> uh, so that's hard. Uh, so uh, yes, there's a few different uh, languages. And languages are hard to learn. There's thousands throughout the world. It's hard for us to, to grasp what's going on at times, and even harder to actually practice them and to, and to use those languages. Okay, I think that's going now. Thank you. 
Uh, and then uh, there's also, that's right, thank you. Uh, and uh, we get to uh, direction in life. Hard to understand at times what we're doing, uh, which path we're on, where we're trying to head, maybe in our work or our, our business or our career, whatever. Where are we trying to head in life? What's the point? Uh, so many questions we have where we try to understand things around us. But as we turn to Mark's gospel, we have a, a, a telling question that's trying to get us to understand what God's doing trying us to perceive what's happening with this person, Jesus Christ. This person who's making remarkable claims. Claims that show that he's really God in human flesh. Revealing God's truth. Can we understand Jesus Christ? Because there's a real mystery to it. We see this man who is going to take a path of suffering. So different to what we would say was earthly success. He's on a different journey. One that is full of, of God's love. One that shows a perfect example of sacrificial love. Jesus, as we've just remembered at communion, is about to go to the cross. He's about to die for people who don't know God truly. We see that Jesus is offering so much of himself. And Jesus has already been so radical that others have turned around and said it's two hearts. They've seen his miracles. They're all through Mark's gospel, miracle after miracle. People get excited. They get excited by his teaching because it has authority. But then when it comes to them, all of a sudden it's just too hard to embrace what he's saying. And in the background to the passage today, there's the whole idea of God's Messiah. Who is the promised one is to come? And suffering and dying and rejection, it doesn't make any sense to what God's Messiah should be. The Jewish people, no doubt, had a perception that the military ruler to come, the Messiah would be a military power. He would overthrow the Romans. He would make a new kingdom by force, but it would be a better kingdom. They thought that they would have an earthly victory right there, right then. But they didn't understand God's ways. They didn't understand what God's truth was all about. And so in the midst of all these questions that have been asked about Jesus, we see him showing compassion on an individual. Jesus healing in a remarkable way. A blind man. And this time, it's so unique to all the Gospels. This time, it's two touches from Jesus Christ. A man that had, he was blind. He couldn't see. And yet, he has two touches from Jesus. And I think we should ask, why? Why would Jesus actually touch this man twice? Because Jesus has already shown he's had the power to cure at his word. Jesus has shown that he has the power to cure through one touch. Other people reach out and touch Jesus and get healed. So it's not because Jesus doesn't have the power. There's something different going on in this, in this whole um, story. And I think we need to understand that the disciples have just been corrected previously for their lack of understanding. And their lack of understanding leads us into this miracle. And so what took place? Well, we saw that in verse 22. They are in Bethesda, which, uh, which was uh, uh, by the lake of Galilee. And the blind man was brought to Jesus and they were begging him. Once again, Jesus, please heal our friends. This man, he's blind, he can't see. So Jesus takes him aside out of the village. He lays his hands on him and says, do you see anything? 
Jesus being Jesus would have already known perfectly. Jesus would have known what was taking place. Jesus asked this pointed question because he wanted to get the answer out so all would hear. And so what does the man, he looks up and he says, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And we think, oh my goodness, what's happened here? Did Jesus not do what he was supposed to do? But there is still a progression going on. The man was blind and now he has partial sight. He sees trees walking around instead of people. It's a blurred vision. It's, uh, it's an improvement, but it's no way perfect. So we ask, oh, is he going to see properly? Will he get what's going on? Will he see fully? And so, of course, there's the second touch. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. At the second touch of Jesus Christ, he is able to see everything clearly. It's reinforced there. His sight was restored. His eyes were opened. He saw everything. Everything he could see all of a sudden. The miracle has taken place. The blind man could see. Jesus once again does not draw attention to himself, but he tries to send him away quietly. But you could just imagine the joy of this man who was blind and now he sees. He would have been so excited, so full of joy. He would have been awestruck by seeing, seeing the sun, seeing across the lake of Galilee, seeing the things that he's never seen before. This was a miracle and, and he would have been rejoicing. He had full sight. Something special had happened this day. And firstly, of course, this miracle is a pointer that Jesus has power from God. Jesus is God's uh, son who has come to set people free and to bring them sight. Jesus is fulfilling prophecies about himself as he is restoring sight. But once again, we have to say, why was there this two-stage process? Now, I think we need to look at the disciples and what they're going through. The disciples are on a journey and they're not understanding Jesus. And yet Peter is about to make an incredible confession. He's about to understand something of Jesus. But his sight is going to be like that of blurry trees or blurry people because he's not going to truly understand what Jesus is all about. And so deep down there's a question in this text about understanding. Understanding who Jesus is. Understanding that Jesus is truly God's son. Understanding that Jesus is the way of God that brings about reconciliation that brings about peace with God, that brings about eternal life. This passage is about understanding God's truth being shown in Jesus, the suffering servant. Because God's way for His Son is not that earthly victory. It's not some big celebration of military power. It's not a, an iron fist. It's a road of suffering. Innocent suffering. Jesus, who had done nothing wrong, is about to be rejected and killed, sacrificing his life to save others, to die for people's failures and sins. So as we continue in Mark's gospel, as we pick it up, the question has been asked time and time again as we're faced with Jesus Christ. Who is this man? Who is this miracle worker? Who is this person that has such authority as he teaches? Who is this person that 
has all these crowds gathering around and then yet walk away when difficulties come? Who is it? And we need to answer this question. We need to fill in this blank. What would you put in that blank right now? What would you say? Who is Jesus? You're welcome to call out if you'd like to. The Christ. Yep. Would anyone put anything else in there? Son of God, Saviour, Lord. Yeah. This key question that we need to ask. Indeed, as the reading continues, Jesus starts to ask this question to the disciples. They're, they're moving on now from the healing. Now it's just Jesus and the twelve. So we move on from this wonderful healing and Jesus is heading off with the twelve, an intimate time. One of the reasons maybe why he didn't want to get extra attention, he wanted to spend some time with his disciples. And he asked them, who do others say that I am? And they say, oh, one of the great Old Testament prophets or John the Baptist back to life. And then he turns the question around to them. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking his disciples a direct question. They couldn't avoid it. It was about what they believed, what conclusion they had come to about Jesus Christ. And Peter, the bold spokesman, he answers with those wonderful words, you are the Christ. The Christ in the Greek or the Messiah in, uh, in Hebrew. It means the anointed one of God's. A special title for God's promised one that was to come into the world from the line of King David. The one who was to bring about God's kingdom. This is a remarkable claim by Peter. He's got it right. We rejoice in this. This is excellent. He understands Jesus. But does he? Does he really understand Jesus? Has he really got it all sorted out? Because Jesus then starts to fill in what it means to be the Christ. And it was very different to their understanding. From verse 31, Jesus then began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's the title that Jesus took on, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. We see here a picture of Jesus undertaking suffering under God's will. He had a journey to go on, but it was a hard journey. Jesus was going to be rejected. And he's not going to be rejected by the worst of humanity. It's not a bunch of murderers or, or cheats that are going to corner him and kill him. Who is it that's going to turn their back on Jesus Christ? The Jewish religious leaders, those that knew the Old Testament, those that were, were praying in the temple, those that were teaching others about God. These religious leaders who claim to know God, they're the ones that are going to betray Jesus Christ. They're the ones that are going to reject him. They're the ones that are going to order his death sentence. Incredible. But of course, there is promise in what Jesus is saying because after three days he will rise again. And there will be purpose in what Jesus is doing. Jesus was speaking plainly about this. Plainly, that the words, that's the word logos there, plainly. It's Jesus speaking to the people, uh, to his disciples about the truth of God at this very time. And then get Peter. This is what jumps out in this passage. What does Peter do? He takes Jesus aside. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. He takes him aside and tries to tell Jesus what to do. 
He starts to rebuke him and tell him, no, Jesus, you can't do that. You've got to do it my way. Incredible. What was he thinking? He tried to correct Jesus. He tried to say, Jesus, don't go to the cross. Don't do that. I've got a better plan for you. You can become the next emperor. Whatever he was thinking, he couldn't deal with it. But then verse 33, Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. Notice they're not saying anything. I guess they're in agreement to Jesus being the Christ, but they're not sticking up for Jesus now. And he rebuked Peter. This is Jesus rebuking Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. No one defending Jesus here. Peter, he got it so wrong. He's, it's like he's seeing the blurry trees or the blurry people. He believes that Jesus is the Christ, and yet he believes that the Christ has to take a different path to what Jesus has to undertake. And Jesus, uh, Peter is being rebuked by Jesus here. His words and his thoughts, they weren't lining up with God. They were actually lining up with Satan, trying to stop the will of God from taking place. Peter, in his fallen human understanding, wasn't getting God. He didn't have that understanding. He just couldn't get it. And so Jesus rebukes him so firmly from this high of being affirmed as getting the, the Messiah right to the depths. Get behind me, Satan. What strong words of rebuke. But there's a reality that what Peter was doing was so wrong. He was trying to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And of course, that's the very thing that Satan would want to achieve. Because the reality is us as humans, when we don't understand God, we just don't get things of God's. And it's been like that since the beginning of all time. There's nothing new under the sun when it's people not understanding God's. In the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 19.21, Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. People head off in all different directions, think they know what's best, self-seeking uh, work out what's best for them, work out what they think's best. Even the religious leaders fit into this category. They were lost at this time, doing their own ways. But what remains, it's the Lord's purpose, the Lord's will. God's plans prevail. God's plans last. They continue. Worldly plans, worldly kingdoms, all the things of this world come and go. But God and His plans last forever. They prevail. And that's a promise as we read the Scriptures, that God will continue and His ways will always last. And in the midst of this conversation, we then turn back to the crowd. And there is a strong call for all present, a call to follow the way of Jesus Christ. They're to look to Jesus, realize that this is God at work, God's truth, and there's a call to follow Him. May this be our desire at Cora Baptist Church that we get a hold of Jesus in a deeper way and that we live out God's truth, that it sinks into our hearts and that we desire the ways of Jesus. There's nothing easy about it because the first thing that as they regather with the crowds, Jesus puts the incredible challenge forwards. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What a wonderful, difficult task that Jesus puts before people. 
denying ourselves of our own wants, denying ourselves of our own pleasure to take up the way of Jesus Christ. It's a choice of choosing Jesus and going on His way. It's the cross is nothing easy. We all know that it was a form of execution. The way of the cross was a humiliating execution where people were put up to be, to be murdered or executed in front of all people as a sign that they had rebelled against the Romans. The Romans even outlawed it because it was so cruel over time. And yet that was the journey that Jesus was on and he calls us to follow in his ways. A difficult journey one that's about us saying no to our own desires and saying yes to God's will. And the reason why is made so clear. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what could anyone give in exchange for their soul? These powerful words, and they make a clear point. Choose Jesus. Let go of the things of this world and you will have life, eternal life, true life. But hold on to your life. Say no to Jesus and just go your merry way. Decide the cross is too hard and you will lose life. Forfeit your very soul. Could even say, that people say, don't sell your soul to the devil. It's exactly a comment about this verse. It's about people choosing their own path and rejecting God's. Life is to be found in the ways of Jesus Christ. The other, reject Jesus. It's a difficult journey and it's our very soul at stake. Verse 38, it continues. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory and with the holy angels. Be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Be ashamed of his death on the cross. Be ashamed of, of what he was all about. And Jesus will be ashamed of you when he returns in his glory. Very strong and clear words. Accept Jesus and he will welcome you. Reject him, and he will turn away from you when he returns in glory. In the midst of that adulterous and sinful generation, it's almost a, a reality of all generations that there's always sin and self-choice, people being selfish. So today, I stand here declaring that I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. He is my refuge and my fortress my God, in Him I will trust. Jesus is my everything. In no way am I ashamed of Jesus Christ. And I hope that you too are not ashamed of Jesus Christ in any way. Jesus is so much greater than anything of this world. Is He greater than money? Absolutely. Is He greater than my house? Yes. Is He greater than my car? Yep. Even relationships. Is Jesus better than my family? Yep. Is he greater than my friends? Yes. Is Jesus greater than what's on the TV, including those sports games? Yep. Is Jesus greater than celebrations with, with, with lots of fine food and, and wine? Yes. Is Jesus greater than my morning coffee? Yeah, absolutely. In all things, Jesus is greater. And I'm not ashamed to declare that. I'm happy to, to declare Jesus Christ every day because he's my saviour. 
Many people put the blank in before. Jesus is our everything. If Jesus is our truth, we should be living for him, willing to embrace that cross, willing to undertake God's will of sacrificial service. I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. Are you ashamed of Jesus Christ? I hope not. May you be received in his embrace when he returns in glory. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we come to glorify you.